or good morning. It's terrific to be here. This is construction day. This is not here, but this is construction day on the wall of Jerusalem with Nehemiah. We're in the fourth Sunday talking about Nehemiah's wall or the Jerusalem wall. If you have your Bibles, you can prepare by turning to Nehemiah. That's back there by Ezra and Esther in the Old Testament. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen. But what I want to do is just to take one minute for a history lesson. Now, when I was younger, I, I wasn't too much into history. But, but the, my theory is the more of your own history you get, the more you like history. So this is a history lesson. Here's the deal. The peak of Israel as a nation under King David was about 1000 B.C., 1010. And you'll see these, these uh, numbers on the screen. 1010 was the peak of Israel's history in the Old Testament. He reigned for 40 years, and in 970, Solomon became king. He reigned for 40 years, and then the kingdom was divided. And so ten tribes went to the north. Their capital was Samaria. And if this is my, this is my faux imaginary map here. I'm drawing in the air. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Egypt here. This is Assyria here. This is Babylon over here. You've got Judah with the capital of Jerusalem. You've got Israel with the capital in Samaria. The people started wandering away. They wouldn't listen to God. They wouldn't follow Jehovah, Yahweh. They wouldn't do it. And the prophets kept saying, there's going to be judgment if you do that. It's not going to work well. They had all other kind of language for it. And in 722, the Assyrians came down and took out Israel and repopulated the country, intermarried. And you get Samaritans. You know that some of you know that word. And then hundred so years later, the Babylonians came out and took out Judah and they took out in three installments. They took him out for 70 years. They were in captivity. And then both of these groups were overwhelmed by the Persians. And it's under the Persian rule that Nehemiah comes back. Now, other people have come back before Ezra, Zerubbabel. They came back and they built the temple in Jerusalem, but the walls were still in disarray. And here comes Nehemiah. He's never been there. His people were there, his grandpa or great-grandpa or whomever. I mean, it's been 150 years since they were taken away. So his ancestors were there, but he's never been there. And now it's a postage stamp. It's not the big kingdom. It's an overgrown place, people scattered throughout the area, but they're not together. And he comes back. It takes him four months to go 900 miles. And he's trying to rally the troops. And there you have it. That's where we start this morning. And... What a construction task to build a wall all the way around Jerusalem. Now, I have a nephew. I'm not in construction, but I appreciate those of you who are. You know how to build stuff and frame and do subfloor and foundations and pour concrete and do roof. I, I admire you. i got to tell you that. I'm, you don't want me on your crew, but I'm there to cheer you on, okay? But I have a nephew who's in construction. He said, Uncle Dick, there are three things about construction. Three words. Three words are fast, good, and cheap. Pick any two. If it's fast and good, it won't be cheap. If it's good and cheap, it won't be fast. If it's, if it's uh, good and fast, it won't be cheap. I, you know, that applies to a lot of areas in life. You might want to write that down. There's no place on your notes, but fast, good, and cheap. We have people in this context in Nehemiah that want to do something, but they don't know how to. And here comes Nehemiah along to lead in building the wall. There are all kinds of walls. There are walls that support this roof here. Those are supporting walls, bearing walls. 
You have memorial walls like the Vietnam Wall in D.C. You have walls that keep people in like the Berlin Wall that stood till 1989 for all those years. You have Hadrian's Wall in, in the north of England that's to keep those crazy Scottish people out. You know, they paint their bodies, come down and scream and, you know, stuff like that. We want to keep them out. And then you have a city wall for a fortified city. You can have a temple, but if it's not surrounded by a fortified wall, that in those days, that's what you did. Babylonian wall, the walls of Babylon were estimated to be 380 feet thick and 100 feet high. Huge fortified walls. Jerusalem's walls were not that, no doubt. But the fact is that how you build something like that, you got rubble all over the place. You got to work with the material that's there. How do you do that? My first construction experience as a young pastor was in Urbana, Illinois, and I was 25 years old and I didn't know how to build anything, but we were working with the contractor. We didn't have a lot of money. He said, you can dig the drainage ditches around the footing. So we only had like 12 college students. And so I, one of these guys was with me and we're digging the drainage ditch to put the pipe in, to drain the water away. And it's Illinois clay. You get down below that rich dirt and it's clay and it's hard digging. And his name was Easterwood and he was getting a Ph.D. in economics. And so when you work together, you talk about all kinds of stuff. I said, give me a definition of economics. He said, economics is the effective use of scarce resources. Economics is the effective use of scarce resources. All of you are, in an, are, are you know, economic specialists. All of us are in economics. Effective use of scarce resources. That's what Nehemiah has to do. He's got these scarce resources. He's got these people, but they're not together. He's got to bring them together. And one thing is for sure, however, that in God's work, everyone has a part and everyone has a place. So here's what the wall looked like. You'll see the slide on the screen. This is the outline of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. It's a wall interspersed with towers and gates. All kinds of gates. You got the sheep gate, got the fish gate, got Jashana gate, dung gate, valley gate, fountain gate, water gate. It's not our water gate. It's a different <laughs> gate. Inspection gate and so on. The deal is, what's the starting point? Where do we start? We got this huge project. It's summertime. We got enemies out there. Where do we start? The starting point, Nehemiah 3.1. Listen, listen to how it reads in Nehemiah 3.1. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. Point one, a dedicated life results in dedicated tasks. Dedicated life results in dedicated tasks. If you've got me, the stuff I do is yours too. If you get me, you get my family, you get my cousins, you get my friends, you get my money, you get me. That's how it is. And here, Eliashib, the priest, they were the religious political rulers in the area. They started out by rebuilding the sheep gate. That's up in the north. That's where they bring the sheep in for the sacrifices and all of that. And they dedicate. Now, he had his own challenges, this high priest that happens with leaders, but he had his own challenges. But but he dedicated the thing that he was doing. Why do we do baby dedications? Couldn't you like raise a child to love Jesus without doing that formal thing? Yes, you can. But there's something about symbolically and really in front of friends and family saying, we want you to know this is our heart. And this is about not only dedicating the child, but dedicating ourselves. Sometimes when we build buildings, we dedicate them. If you were to tear the sheetrock off in certain places in this building, I understand you will find scripture verses. 
If you were to tear up this foundation, you'd find a Bible under here because they wanted the foundation to be the word of God when they built this. You say, well, that's kind of that's kind of good. There's something about that. When I was in D.C., a senator called me and said, would you come and do a dedication service for my new offices? I said, I've never done one of those. What do you like? What do you want me to do? I said, well, he said, just come and do some scriptures and some. And so we did a little service order and friends and family gathered and we went from office to office. And in the senator's office, we said, let's let this be the place where the nation's interests are served and not just a man's ego. And then we prayed and then we went to the PR office, the communication office. And he said, let this be a place where truth is spoken, not spin. Let this be a place of truth. And we went from room to room and did that. It was a very powerful kind of I'd never done that. But it's this it's this idea that in sometimes in the physical things we do, there's spiritual reality behind it. And we need to understand that because the real mission goes beyond walls, towers and gates. Nehemiah wasn't just about rebuilding a wall. Nehemiah was about rebuilding a people. He was about rebuilding a nation to love and fear and walk after God. And the last half of Nehemiah, or from Nehemiah 7 on, Ezra re-instructs the people in the law. He re-teaches them. So what's needed? Nehemiah 3, 2 through 4 reads this way. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Emery, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanah. They laid its beams, put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired the next section next to him. And Mosholem, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. Now, see, Pastor Jeff would say, just those are the funny names. We'll just skip those and keep going. But, you know, I gave it a good shot. I don't think I got it right, but it's okay. Point two, the mission is general, but the pieces are specific and delineated. The mission is general. Let's build the wall. But you've got to have specific responsibilities, parts, roles to play for it to get done. Some years ago, a friend of mine who was high up in the Navy said, Dick, have you ever been on an aircraft carrier? I said, yeah, I was on the USS Ranger when I was a teenager in Alameda Naval Air Station near Oakland, California. He said, no, no. Have you ever been on one like at sea? I said, no. He said, would you like to? I said, you betcha. He's, he arranged for several of my friends and me to go down to Norfolk Naval Air Station or Naval Base, the largest naval base in the world in Virginia, and get on what they call a cod. A cod is a prop plane, twin props, and you face backwards and you have a three-point hitch like a race car driver and you've got a life vest and a helmet, which made me just a little nervous about what are we doing here. And you face backwards and they take off and you and we flew 100 miles out into the Atlantic and landed on the deck of the USS George Washington aircraft carrier. It's like landing on a postage stamp at 150 miles an hour. And they drop that hook and you stop like that. I'm I'm an honorary member of the tail hook club. I don't know if that's good or not. But the point is, that's that's what happened. And when they fire you off of that thing, same thing, you're belted in. They say, hang on. And you go from zero to 150 in three seconds. Just bam, going up. We stayed all night on that ship under the flight deck. They're, fire, they're, they're, they're preparing to deploy to the Persian Gulf. They're firing jets all night. We met with the admiral of the fleet. We met with the captain. We met with officers at dinner. We went down and we met with the cooks and people all in between. And, and we met with the young woman whose responsibility was to take care of the anchor chain. 
That's her sole responsibility. Make sure this anchor works. We don't want one of these carriers getting loose in the night. You know, one of those deals. The thing that struck me was that everybody knew the mission and everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing in that mission. There's something about that that is powerful. That's why when we look at Windsor, we've been talking about this Windsor dream, the church plant there, for the last several weeks. And I want to say just a word about it this morning. The mission is clear. We want to go where people are across northern Colorado over the next decade. Windsor is just the starting point. We want to be able to lift up the hands of ministries that are already there. This is not competitive. These, there are other congregations. There are works that are there that are good. And we want to work with them in, in helping the water rise, if you will, in those local communities. We want to be where people are because if you live more than 20 minutes away, and Pastor Derry said this, you'll come, but having friends come pretty tough. That just doesn't work that way. And so we want to be more local in that regard. And... Above all, we want to lift up Jesus. And for those of you who are guests here, part of what's going on here is that we have a vision for planting congregations across northern Colorado, perhaps even southern Wyoming over the next 10 years to see this good news spread in, in, in ways that are uh, uh, powerful and real. And I'm so pleased to tell you there's some tables out in the mall where you can sign up if you want to be a part specifically and say, I'm going to go there. So far, uh, over 160 people have signed up and said, we want to be a part of that. I'm excited about that. So far in this reach of um, $2 million, which is what it will take. There's a contract on a building. It will take so much to build it out. We're looking toward $800,000 in cash and $1.2 million in faith promises over the next two years. So far, last Sunday it was 200000 that we had. This Sunday, it's 440,000 that has been committed. We're grateful. For, aren't you grateful for that? And that's exciting. It's exciting to me, you know. And the Lord, the Lord's afoot here. He's at work. There are a couple of folks who coordinate volunteers, tremendous couple, by the name of the Ullmans. And, uh, well, they, they're going to tell you just a little bit about why they're involved. Just take a minute and watch this. Recently, we, we got involved with uh, the uh, Timberline Windsor venue and felt like that that's really something that we wanted to do. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, we said to each other, I'll let you tell that story. <laughs> well, this goes on to uh, what we felt after we heard there was going to be a venue in Windsor. We've uh, been volunteering as adults in churches for about 35 years, so that has been a lot of building projects remodeling projects, all sorts of things like that, um, finances involving that, fund drives. And uh, when we went to the business meeting last year, Pastor Derry talked a little bit about Windsor or Loveland being a new venue. We thought that's good. You know, we need to open up. We need to get out and do things like that. Then we got in the car, looked at each other and said, no way are we going to do this. <laughs> it's just too much work. We're too old. We're not doing this anymore. And uh, slowly over the last few months, the Holy Spirit's really worked on us. And uh, we really do need to open up. We need to have places where more people can come. We need to open up Fort Collins where more people can get in. Loveland, Windsor, other venues. Because the Lord really wants us to spread the word about him. That's the most important thing we can do. There's a hole in everyone's heart. And the only thing that fills that is Jesus. And the more we can do to get out into communities and to you know, tell people about this and how wonderful their lives will be with the Lord, 
the better it'll be. So we decided we're going to do it, and we're going to do the work. One of the blessings that we've found that, uh, as in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength, uh, we found that uh, that truly does help us in, in all that we do, and, and we're, we're doing something of eternal value rather than just 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 being working and, and that type of thing. But it's really an eternal value, and we do need the Lord as our strength to move forward in what He has for His, for his kingdom. So I asked myself the question, what, what can I do? Like, what's the most important thing? Are you ready for this? Here we go. We can pray. You say, well, that's the least I can do. I say, no, no, no. That's the, that's the most you can do. Everything else flows out of that. Whether I go there or don't go there, how much I respond economically, whether I don't. That comes out of me speaking to the Lord and saying, what, what does my part need to be in this, in this arena at this time? And many of you have taken faith promise cards, taken them home. This is in the chair in front of you. If you haven't seen this, you can reach out and take one. This is, this just indicates what one might want to do over time. That's a faith promise or in a cash offering. And there will be opportunities each week for the next several weeks. At the end of the time in the offering, you just tear off the bottom part and put your commitment in. When you do, just write Windsor on there so that we know that's exactly what it's for. I just, uh, I just think it's so exciting to be a part of an enterprise that is larger than ourselves. And yet we have a potential of having a specific part because everyone has a part and a place in the kingdom. So what kind of product do I want when I'm building this wall? What kind of product do we want? Listen to how Nehemiah 3.20 reads. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Point three, who we work for determines the quality of the product. Who we work for determines the quality of the product. What are my standards for my work? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think my wife, Ruth, is very precise about things. And I say, oh, that's good enough. I'll just, you know, just let him. But the fact is that when Jesus is involved, he gave us his best and we get to respond with ours. And he, he, he ratchets that up, I believe. You know, I don't, I don't want to go to a doctor who says, oh, well, that's pretty good. We'll just leave it. No, no, I don't think so. You know, I don't want to go to somebody who got a C plus in surgery. I just, I'm sorry. I just don't. And so quality is a core value in building the wall. I'll never forget at Bethany when I was president, this little college, we had to rebuild. We redid something in the dining commons, had this tall wall that had drywall and taping. And any of you who are drywallers, tapers, sheetrock guys, you are tremendous. You are not just workers. You are artists. I've tried taping. It's not good. It's it just it does. You know, it's not good. And and these wonderful maintenance brothers had had built the wall. But the seam just went like the waves of the ocean. And one of the trustees said, I got a brother who's in the business. We'll send him over. And so he came over and he's just good old brother and big chaw on the side of his mouth. And he's feeling the seam. And one of the maintenance guys said, can we help? He said, no, I believe you fellas have helped me just about as much as I can stand. You know, I, <laughs> The quality. Here's Mother Teresa. People say, what do you, why do you go and help pick those people up with gangrenous limbs? And they're, and they're just they're in terrible shape. And, you know, why? and she says, I'm not picking up people with gangrenous limbs. I'm picking up Jesus. How I see my work 
who I work for determines the product and the quality of the product. So what can we expect in Nehemiah 3, 2 4, through 4 that I just read? The operative word when you read through Nehemiah 3 is next to him. Next to him was this guy. Next to him was this guy. Next to him was. If you get involved in the kingdom of God, as all of you are at some level of doubt, you're next to somebody. It's not that just you're sitting next to somebody. You are working next to somebody in this in this mix. It's a collective effort. Everybody has a part and a place. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, Nehemiah 3, 5 says it this way. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Here's the point. Some folks won't give 100 percent. You may be given 100 percent or 120 percent, but some folks are doing more of this. And, you know, not not really. Just don't get up. Just just pay attention to what you're doing and just go with that. Everyone has a part and a place. Nehemiah 3, 7 and 8 reads this way. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melati of Gibeon, Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. We may be out of our comfort zone or skill set when we're in this work. We just we may be. I know we want it, but sometimes we find ourselves just not in exactly the right place, but we're giving it our best shot. I mean, can you see this? Nowhere in this chapter does it talk about joiners or carpenters or stonemasons. It talks about politicians and priests and goldsmiths and perfume makers for Pete's sake. They're lined up. I mean, you can hear the back and forth. Hey, Harry, I'll use English names because I can't see. Harry. Are you going to make some laws about that? Talking to the political guy and the political guy says, you know, we could use a little speed. We're not making a necklace here, goldsmith guy. We're, you know, let's pick it up a little bit. And the goldsmith guy is saying to the perfume maker, how do you like the smell of sweat? How's that for you? You know, there's something about being together, even when you don't have all of the skills. Sometimes you'll find yourself in that place and we just walk with it. It's part and parcel of having a part and having a place. Any of you who have ever gone on a mission trip with this congregation, some of them are very specific. They're medical trips or the construction trips. But I've been on construction trips and I'm not a construction guy. I already said that. But you carry hod or you move the stuff around or you do whatever is necessary. That's how the kingdom is. Nehemiah 3.12 says this. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. We may be surprised at who shows up. Now, not many women working on the wall. That's not essentially what they did. They were doing other things. But this guy has his daughters in the mix. You never know who's going to show up next year to do work. You'll never know. I'll never forget. We were we were doing a building project in Urbana where I was the pastor of this congregation. And um, one day there was a check in the offering for three thousand dollars and was from a graduate student. At the University of Illinois, and I, I don't I didn't usually see what people gave or talk. But this I happened to see because we weren't a large congregation in this. And I went to him and I said, Lee, graduate students don't have money. I mean, this is antithetical to everything you are. What's what's the he said? Well, I had some I had some money saved. And when I heard the need, I did that. You never know who's going to show up. It's just that's just how it is. I'll never forget in a missions conference one. There came a faith promise for seven cents. 
And it was from a nine-year-old girl whose allowance was 25 cents a week, and she wanted to give seven cents a week to missions, like almost a third of her income. And we say, what's seven cents? It's huge when you're nine years old. In that day, you know, seven cents was a big deal. When you're nine years old, everybody has a place. Kids show up, old people show up, middle-aged people show up, people with six kids show up. It's about everyone. Nehemiah 3.14, the dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it, put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. We may draw the short straw. Are you with me here? Everybody's going out to work. Where are you going? I'm going to repair the tower of Hananel. Ah, going to the sheep gate. Good deal. We're on the fountain gate. Where are you going, George? I'm in the dung gate. Come again? Where are you going? See, now the dung gate's important. That's the place they took the rubbish out of the city. That's the that's important. See, the people who do the waste management thing, they are the first line of defense in health services. I applaud that. That's huge in any in any situation. That's huge. So what some people might look down on is absolutely critical. So it may seem like it's a short straw when, in fact, it's foundational to all kinds of other things. How do I determine my part in place? Nehemiah 4, 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. Here is a wall that was rebuilt by these hundreds or thousands. I don't know how many people because we don't know the size of the city. Jerusalem could have been 40 acres, could have been 900 acres. We're not sure, but it was a big wall. They rebuilt it in 52 days, 52 days under the eyes of the enemy. Some of them did the stones with one hand and held a sword in the other. You can read that further on in Nehemiah. But they responded to God and Nehemiah's leadership. What do I need to reflect on when I look at all this? What do I need to reflect on? I need to be open to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. In my heart, some idea, some thought. Some years ago, I was driving along in the car and I had this thought, just this person came to mind. I picked up the phone and called him and the person said, you'll never know how important this call is. And from that day on, whenever I thought of somebody, I picked up the phone and called him. And I can't tell you how many times people say this is just the right moment. The nudge of the spirit. It might not be a two by four to the head. It might just be a a tweak, just something Learning to respond to that. I don't think I've learned, but I'm learning something from the word. I was a freshman at Cal Berkeley. I was in my sort of prodigal days out there sowing wild oats, 17 years old. Compared to today, they weren't very many wild. They weren't very wild and they weren't many oats. But the, but the fact is, it was my deal. And I was at a church service where a missionary was talking. And I remember going up to a little chapel, opening my Bible and the Bible fell open And the first verse I saw was that if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will the earth be salted? And it was like a dagger, a good dagger in my heart. It was just that the word spoke to me. So we we learn we learn what we need to do and how we need to respond because of the word. And finally, from those I trust, I need to be open to the nudge of the Holy Spirit from those I trust back a number of years ago. Um, I was president of this little college and I spoke at a conference and a, and a contractor, uh, not a contractor, a rancher came up to me afterwards 
And he said, uh, what are you going to do when you leave Bethany? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Not plan to leave. And he said, have you ever thought about Washington, D.C.? And that was the start of the journey some years later to Washington, D.C. Just that input from somebody I trusted. When I think of when I think of having a part and a place on the wall, I think of my Uncle Jerry. Uncle Jerry was a reconnaissance photographer in World War II out of Italy. Came back, raised in a believing home, but had wandered off, had some struggles. He was in Sacramento, California. And uh, he was going with some buddies to party. His older brother, Dudley, had gone to a youth rally. This is Jerry in his older years. That's exactly what he was like. Just full of life. He was a salesman at heart. But he was in Sacramento and he was driving, going with his buddies to party. And, and the Lord nudged him. And he thought about this youth rally and they were near the place it was going to be. And he said, if you want me at the at the youth rally, God, when I come around the corner in front of that place, you have Dudley standing on the curb. My brother. He came around the corner and there stood Dudley right on the curb. Dudley had been in that building in a prayer meeting for the youth rally. And in the middle of the prayer, he sensed a nudge in his heart. That the Lord was saying, go out and stand on the sidewalk in front of this facility. And he got up and did it. And that night, Jerry went in, gave his whole life to Jesus. And he was at it full bore. And he was a salesman. He could sell you this if it was leaky. I mean, he could, he could, uh, he, he, you know, snowballs to Eskimo, that, that sort of thing. He, I mean, just unbelievable salesperson. And uh, he got so excited about talking to people about Jesus that he'd have conversations. And then early in the morning, he'd write letters to him. On an old Smith Corona typewriter with, you know, in his, his bedroom, David, my cousin, said his bedroom was half full of paper and whiteout. And the Smith Corona, for those of you who are younger here, a typewriter is a thing we used to have. Okay? And he would type letters to them. Six in the morning, David said, every day of my growing up years, I heard my dad in there typing letters. He'd met somebody the day before at the pizza shop or the gas station. He was sending him scripture verses. And, and one day David said, Dad, how about the computer? You want to learn? He said, oh, that's for kids. He said, no, no, John Mark, your grandson, he'll teach you. So 13-year-old John Mark taught his grandpa about the computer. And then you didn't have the whiteout anymore. You just had Jerry up there doing the verses. One day he came down, David came down. Jerry said, David, have you ever heard of a chat room? <laughs> David said, yeah. He said, the world is my parish. And old Jerry started going into those chat rooms, terrible chat rooms, raunchy chat rooms. These guys would be saying all this stuff and he'd say, have you ever thought about Jesus? And then he'd get the list and he'd spam him. You're not supposed to spam. It's not right. You're not supposed to. But he he's gone now, so they can't do anything to him. But he he went in. He went, I think they threw him off a bunch of times. He came back under other, hundreds and thousands of people over the years connected with Jesus because Jerry did this. Because David had come home one day and and Jerry had found this thing called the four spiritual laws about these are the four steps to following. Jesus. And he was standing on a chair in the kitchen saying, David, I can do this. He found he knew he had a part, but he found his place in that moment. The year Jerry died. He was instrumental in helping 200 people on the Internet make connection with this Jesus. And when he died, letters came from engineers in Sweden and farmers in Brazil and students in Lebanon, because this man with his big heart had this grand mission and had found his specific place. And it worked. 
Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me preparing for prayer? Lord Jesus, here we are. Part of the grand mission. With your heads bowed, no one looking just for a moment, just the Lord and faith. If you're here and you say, I'm like Jerry, I'm, I'm like Jerry going to party time. And uh, I'm not part of the grand plan as far as I can tell, but I'm so drawn to what I sense. This person, Jesus, and his spirit. And I, I, just, like, I just like to make a step that direction. And you just in this moment, you just slip up your hand and say, Brother Dick, Pastor Dick, could, um, I'd like to start the journey with Jesus. I'd like to give him my history. Yes, sir. Yes, I see you. I'd like to start this journey. You'll just, you'll just slip your hand up across the auditorium. Yes, I see you. Yep, I see you. Others, just waiting a moment. Yes, sir, I see you. Waiting just a moment. Yes, you can put your hand down. I see it. There may be others of you who say, I'm a Jesus follower, but I would really like to find my sweet spot. I've done a bunch of things, but but I just like the opportunity. I just I just like to know know the part, the place that I need to be in that. And I just need the Spirit to guide me in that. And you'd slip your hands up and say, pray for me in that mix. Yep, yep, bunches of us, bunches of us. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Thanks. Lord Jesus, here we are. You know us like the back of your hand. There's nothing about us you don't know. And the good news is you still want us. For these friends who have raised a hand as an act of trust, saying, I need to start the journey with Jesus. I need him to take care of my history and give me a future. I pray for these dear friends that even in their hearts as I speak, that they will be able to simply say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Take my life. Make it new. Make me a new creation. Because of what you have done. Because of your sacrifice. You have taken away all the bad and you give me a future. And for these who have raised their hands to say, I need that sweet spot. Even as they leave this, this living room, this place where we're having the conversation, Holy Spirit of God, give direction and insight directly by your spirit, through your word or through trusted people that we might know where we might be most effective on the wall. We give you praise for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And now may the grace of our Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and His ever-present Spirit go with us now and forevermore. The service begins now. Our prayer team is coming those of you who slipped up a hand, you want to start the journey. If you could just take a moment and come down here. Just take a moment. Come down. Don't be embarrassed. We'll be here just to have a little prayer with you and just to talk a little bit more if you have a moment. Thank you so much. God bless you as you come.